Oh, Mayor! Sheriff, get over here! Oh, what's that smell? This better be good. Do I you just got off my $50 million flight for this. Oh, do you smell that smell? It smells like rotten eggs, fucking dead bodies. Oh, It smells like your sex life. Well, it's non-existent. But, uh... Anyway, do you see my front lawn? What happened to my front lawn? It's a rock. Well, do you want me to describe it in, in vivid detail? Yeah, whatever. Go ahead and tell me what happened. Okay. So me and my wife, you know, we were fucking for the first time since she got her titties locked off. And I was feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden we saw or heard this rumbling and my kids were screaming and my stoner son actually sat up and saw what was happening. And then it hit. It hit with this huge boom and I don't need to hear about your sex life. Oh, no, I'm talking about the, this rock that fell from the sky. Okay, okay. It hit with a boom, okay? And uh, there's a big flash. It was kind of like a, a pink light or a red light or a blue. White? Uh, maybe it was purple. Chartreuse. Do you know what color it was? Maybe it was ochre. Or indigo. Or John Deere green. Caterpillar yellow. Metallic aluminum. Um, I think it was lavender. Maybe it was uh, maroon. Are you on drugs? I'm trying to describe this light. Okay? Maybe it was uh, seafoam green. Maybe it was, uh, it was indescribable. Okay? Well, you sure spent a long time describing it. Well, I was trying to figure out what the fucking color of this light, okay? <sighs> if only we had a podcast that talked about stuff like this. Like, like the Cat Scare podcast, talking about 2019's Color Out of Space. Starring Nicolas Cage? Yeah, starring that asshole. Whatever, Lavinia, I'm gonna get the fuck out of your face! <laughs> Welcome to the Cat Scare Podcast. I'm Campbell. I'm Michael. And tonight we're talking about 2019's Shudder Indie Darling, Color Out of Space, directed by Richard Stanley. Do you know who Richard Stanley is? I don't. He was the blackball director of The Island of Dr. Moreau, starring um, Val Kilmer and um, that fat white guy that used to be big back in the day. The fat what? Uh, Marlon Brando. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Who actually used to have some credibility until he did that movie. Richard Stanley um, had a, a vision for this movie about anthropomorphic gene-spliced animals, human beings, that uh, lived on an island in perfect harmony. And um, Marlon Brando came in there and the uh, actual production company, and they fucked it all up. 
Uh, eventually, getting him fired two weeks before the movie was finished, and he his vision never was finished. Hmm. And I honestly don't think he did much since then. He may not have done an, a, a single movie until this movie. Well, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't have anything on here about it. I'm just going. I watched a documentary about it. It's actually very entertaining because, like, Marlon Brando had a huge ego. Val Kilmer had a huge ego. And they really worked against this director um, during the process because I think he was a former independent director that went to a big budget movie and they kind of bullied him into doing things he didn't want to do. And anyhow, sorry, Richard Stanley, you had to run into those two assholes, but now you actually directed a competent piece of film. Yeah. Um, it stars America's favorite son. Oh, I guess he's grandfather now. Nicolas Cage. And if anybody's ever seen a Nicolas Cage movie, you know that you're going to get two sides. Boring Nicolas Cage or Rage Cage Nicolas Cage. Rage Cage. Rage Cage, where he is let loose to do whatever he wants to do. And, and I'm proud to say that this movie, we get a little bit of Rage Cage. Oh, yeah. So what um what were your initial impressions about the movie? I love this movie. Um, have you ever uh, read any Lovecraft or? I've never read any Lovecraft. My only real um, experience with him is through one of my favorite games of all time, Bloodborne. I never uh, played Bloodborne. Is an amazing game. If you like. Uh, well, you, you know the Dark Souls games? Yes. Same, same, same concept, like pe- a third same person. Same people, it's just uh, Dark Souls, but in a gothic setting okay. with Lovecraft <coughs> monsters. Because what people know about Lovecraft is that the terror is indescribable. Like That's why it's hard to adapt Lovecraft novels into movies and also just the blatant racism in it, from what yeah. I understand. And the only other real uh, Lovecraft influence that I know is actually from, like, Rick and Morty. And mine is, sadly, South Park. When, oh, yeah, and South Park. Yeah, when, South when Park. Cartman became the king and teamed up with Cthulhu, that's honestly the only time I even heard the name Lovecraft. Now, I've heard it mentioned on, on different reviews for different types of movies, because like, like Stephen King was highly influenced by Lovecraft, that's why it's hard to adapt some of his stuff, too. Because, you know, on the page, when you write out things, you can add so many more descriptive details. But when you try to create that as a vision, it's hard to come through on the medium of film. Well, yeah, I mean, even just this film, in its title, The Color Out of Space, the whole point was that it's this, this color that is indescribable. In the movie, it's fucking purple. It's purple. Because, like, I think purple is a very vivid uh, image, especially, like... It's an unnatural yeah, color. Yeah, well. purple and pink. Like, that you see a lot of purples and pinks in it. Like, whenever... There's a scene where Nick Cage opens up the barn door when he's about to go do something, and the whole entire backdrop has turned to pink. And I was like... What a striking image that was. You know, obviously, they didn't have a set there made out of pink trees 
but they were able to. It probably just uh, went in editing, editing, and, and literally turn, turned every leaf into a pink leaf. Well, they probably just turned the the green dye. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, just made it. I just thought, like, who, like, just that little bit of change to the backdrop, like, changes the feel of this movie because this movie starts out very normal. Uh, well, normal well, as you can get for somebody doing a, a Wiccan seance in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> but I just really thought, what a slice of family life you see and, and how boring it is and how like mundane and monotonous life can be. What happens when something that completely is unexplainable interrupts that life and I feel like that's what this movie did well it's also like like these characters in this movie are in no way like heroes of any kind Mm -hmm. uh you know they're not gonna be passed down in stories it's more like like people like to believe that the universe revolves around us uh and that they're they are like the main characters of their own story. Yeah. Uh, and so when you have an event like this happens, it must be like your uh, your call to action almost. But it or like your origin story. But um, in this movie, the, this event doesn't revolve around these characters at all they're they're just kind of caught in 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 the middle of it and Um, then tommy john's character mentions that in the world's creepiest vo um about that you know we're it's we're stuck it's stuck it's all in the trees it's all in the creatures it's all in us this is permeating everything that they know and even like there's no way to get calls out there's no way to get calls in. Everything has trapped them into this. I want to mention something. All right, so I've mentioned many, many times in this podcast that uh, I normally watch these films with my fiance because she is my view into the uncritical eye. You know, she she watches movies, and I can talk about them for hours. Uh, she's like, as I do, <laughs> as I do on here, and she's like, "It was good." Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's all right. Then that's all she has to say. <laughs> but she made a, a note of this film that that will like it, it kind of you know skipping ahead uh, past the plot. But they have this dam being built, and she mentions how this land that they have. Is damned. <laughs> it's damned. It's damned. Literally and metaphorically. It is true. Like you can't, you can't stop progress. And even if it wasn't their intent to sell that land, it still happened. So no matter what they did. That was very good. I like that. That's a that's a really good observation. Um, well, I guess we should get into the plot because this is a humdinger of a of a plot. Um, you ready? 
Yeah. All right, right. color out of space. Here we go. In the wake of his wife Teresa's mastectomy, Nathan Gardner moves his family, including children Lavinia, Benny, and Jack, to his late father's farm. One night, a brilliantly glowing meteor crash lands in the front yard, briefly traumatizing Jack. The next morning, hydrologist Ward Phillips, who is surveying the area for a dam development, along with the mayor and the sheriff of the nearby town of Arkham, arrived to see the meteor. That night, during a storm, Nathan and Lavinia witnessed the meteor being struck by numerous bolts of lightning. Ward notices that the groundwater has taken on an oily sheen and tests it. When his test strips begin to glow brightly with the color, he advises the gardeners not to drink the water. While notifying nearby resident Ezra of the contamination, he is shown a recording of a sound of an unknown origin sounding beneath Ezra's house at night. Meanwhile, Jack becomes fixated on the property's well, observing strange plant growth and insects, as well as claiming to communicate with a friend inside the well. A news crew arrives to interview Nathan about the meteor, but finds that it has vanished. Later, while Teresa... This is a huge plot. Because while the movie does not move from the central location, except for maybe to see a hospital or go into town a little bit, everything is self-contained in this land. Yeah. Um, but, like, we read plots from Wikipedia, and I think this is pretty, pretty in-depth for, for Wikipedia. Uh, later, while Teresa is preparing dinner... She absentmindedly cuts off two of her fingers. As Nathan rushes her to the hospital, he leaves Benny in charge. On Nathan's request, Benny goes outside to put the farm's alpacas back in their stables, but does not return until late at night, claiming time had passed instantaneously for him. Meanwhile, Lavinia attempts multiple times to contact Nathan, but they are unable to hear each other through the phone. Upon the parents' return, Nathan lashes out of Benny and Lavinia with uncharacteristic rage. Whatever, Lavinia. <laughs> I'm sick of your drama, drama. Lavinia. <laughs> what? So why don't you do me a favor and get the fuck out of my sight? Yeah, it's just okay. Or <laughs> Benny, Benny, I'll get the fuck out of yours. <laughs> and it's like, get the fuck out of my sight. It's just a great... Nicholas Cage, man. Later, Nathan becomes frustrated after finding that his most recent harvest of fruits has proven inedible, and Teresa snaps after losing a work client due to the faltering internet connection, bringing the two to a fight. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but I followed the book to a fucking T. <laughs> followed every fucking rule in the book, and they still taste like shit. <laughs> Just get the internet fixed. Oh. Slam dunk! <laughs> first Kobe! Uh, first world problems we have here. Um, the same night, Lavinia tries to perform a Wiccan ceremony to save her... Oh yeah, she's a, a witch. A Wiccan ceremony to save her family, mutilating herself in the process. Teresa suddenly hears Jack and Benny screaming after entering the alpaca stables and rushes to their aid. But in the process, a bolt of color fuses Teresa and Jack together into a deranged mass, which is by far, I think, the most horrific and affecting scene of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Unable to start the car or call for help, as all electronic devices have stopped functioning, and upon discovering sunlight harms Teresa and Jack, Nathan and the children carry them into the attic. Benny reveals that he had witnessed the alpacas after a horrible mutation due to the color. Nathan decides to euthanize the alpacas with a shotgun. I don't think you euthanize anything with a shotgun, Wikipedia. <laughs> I think you fucking kill them. Um, <coughs> after finding that they have similar, similarly fused together... Beginning to lose his sanity, Nathan also attempts to euthanize Teresa and Jack, but is unable to bring himself to it. And that kiss he gives to his wife, oh, God, it's, it's so... like they're melting lips. Like, everything is loose and goosey in this in this world that they're living in. Their bodies aren't fully <laughs> there. It's, it's just so weird. Well, the, the, purple, the purple color out of space... It's not purple. Uh, it is multiple colors together. Fuchsia. It's fuchsia, the color of awesome. <laughs> but it, it's like, you see this color in all of its... Uh, Glory? Well, no, in all... <laughs> in all, like, uh, in the in the water and ice cubes and stuff. And yeah, so, like, oh, that's the cool. Like, any, anything that's wet yeah. ends up with, like, a little bit of, like, purple. Yeah, and, like, like the, the crazy thing is they, like, set it up at the beginning. They're like, you are the only parents that don't just have bottled water lying around the house. Yeah. Like, they make it where there's no bottled water. Even the uh, hydrologist, uh, is like, stick to bottled water. Yeah. Hey, guys, don't drink that water. My thing is with a hydrologist, like, when he walks up and knocks on the door when Lavinia is sick, like, wouldn't he be like, I gotta, like, do something. These people are fucked up. Like, the kid's talking to a well... She's like, no way, science guy. And the kid's like, I'm talking to my friends. And he's like, okay. And yeah, the kid's like, that was a funny joke, Whistle. Anyway, but uh, I got issues with the hydrologist. I like him as a character, he's a good actor. Lavinia and Benny conspired to leave the farm using Lavinia's horse, like a fairy tale. But it runs from the property because it's got purple eyes. Before returning inside, Benny insists he hears the family's dog inside the well. But upon climbing in, he is assimilated by the color. Which, to me, that was the dumbest choice that any of them made. But he's yeah. a stoner, and I assume he would just be like, Oh, there's Funyuns down here. <laughs> well, they they should have really uh, portrayed his relationship with the dog better. Yeah, like, it, it's it, like, it just seemed like, you know, just a family dog. Yeah, because like... He would be smoking pot in the barn and the dog would be there. Yeah, of course a dog wants to smoke some pot. It's a dog. And yet, this guy is about... Like, he knows the kind of supernatural things going on here. And he's like, I think I hear my dog in the well. I gotta save him. I mean, based on everything that I've seen in the past 24 hours, the best idea for me to do is to jump in this pink well. Right? Right, Lavinia? Peace. I'm out. Oh, no! Lavinia, throw me that bucket. Yeah, give me that bucket. Here, tie this rope on me. It'll save me. Um, Nathan displays more uncharacteristic rage and locks Lavinia in the attic with Teresa and Jack. What, is, what does he say? He says, uh, it's one thing that fam- families always do 
and that stick together. Now feed your mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick Cage, what a great, what a great line. Okay. <clears throat> and have turned to aggression. Ward and the sheriff are brought to the farm after a nearby resident discovers a fused mass of animals and pus and blood and vitriol and arrive just in time to break into the attic. Nathan shoots and kills the monster, which is their mother and brother fused together as a spider creature, saving Lavinia. After rushing outside, Nathan attempts to shoot the color emerging from the well, but the sheriff mistakes Nathan's aim for wards and fatally shoots him. Ward and the sheriff lead to ex- evacuate, I was going to say execute, evacuate Ezra and Lavinia insists on staying with Nathan. At Ezra's house, the pair only find his desiccated corpse and a recording he left behind, which I'll talk more about it, but which to me was like the creepiest part of the whole movie. Uh, How do you turn Tommy Chong, who is like one of the most easy breezy loving people you could ever talk to? Like, if you were to hang out with any celebrity and you hung out with Tommy Chong, you would be like, Celebrities are great. They're not evil people. But they turned his voice into something monstrous like the color turned these people into. Um, well, he's got that, like, deep, almost, like, growly kind of voice. And it, and uh, when that, they, like, when it, whenever it's... Uh, sped up and slowed down. Well, I meant, I meant more like whenever he's saying it, it's like, like peace, brother, kind of way. It's, it's very, like, warm. And it's like, oh, it's nice. And then they, like, when they turn it on but, his head. But yeah, as soon as, soon as it turns like uh, angry, and then they start like speeding up and slowing yeah. it down, right. messing with it, like suddenly his voice becomes very unnerving. Very unnerving. Where he surmises that the color is attempting to remake the earth into something it knows. Heading back towards the farmhouse, a mutated living tree kills the sheriff, which that was another scene I really liked. I, I forgot about it. I actually didn't like that scene. Really? I thought it was like, kind of reminded me of um, Wizard of Oz. You know, all of a sudden, this land that you thought you knew is something different, and these things are alive. I just kind of like how the trees just said, whoop, picked them up and said, there you go. See, the thing I don't like about it is... Uh, Why did it only get you know, You know how, like... Okay, so you know how in the Hobbit movies, uh, people, like, The Hobbit was one book that was made into three movies. Yes, some. Three uh, Wait, that's Bilbo, right? Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins. And so, you can kind of tell in the Hobbit movies, uh, what is, like, filler. Yeah. That felt like filler. It's like, I can literally tell that what is going on right now uh, was like someone other than Lovecraft came up with. And you may be and right. It, it, it's like he they're in like a tent situation at the house then the hydrologist is like I gotta leave you and go do this other thing. So they go to Ezra's and then he comes back and like he might as well have never left. <laughs> I mean, I I get I get it. I felt like I felt I felt like when the hydrologist 
was running around the forest and going to these different places, it was like, show me shock scares, show me things that are weird. It's to build the tense section of this third act. However, I felt like he was only there to beat our eyes as people who have not drank the water because they started getting into Nicolas Cage's point of view and things were just off. So he had to be able to see what was going on outside of drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, like you said. So, yeah, um, it was necessary. However, the hydrologist, I felt, was also a character that was forced in for that purpose. Because you couldn't just have the family disintegrate. He's uh, receiving a call. Sorry, guys. People are very interested in talking to me today. Um, so, let's get back to the plot. Okay? <clears throat> Ward returns to rescue Lavinia, but finds her possessed by the color, which explodes out of the well and forms a funnel into the sky. Ward is shown a vision of where the color hails from, a psychedelic exoplanet inhabited by tentacled alien entities. Before Lavinia disintegrates, as space and time begin to unravel, Ward enters the farmhouse and is pursued by a murderous apparition of Nathan. He hides in the wine cellar as the color distortions, uh, as the color's distortion of reality drives the property to destruction, leaving Ward the only survivor as he climbs out of the remains of the farmland, now a colorless, ashy, blasted earth. In an epilogue, a traumatic ward stands on top of a finished dam which covers the former property and narrates that having witnessed the color's takeover, he will never drink the damn water. Oh, the dam's water, sorry. The damn, damn's water. The damn, damn's water. The damn, damn's water. So, color out of space! What a movie. It's great. Yeah, it's okay. a really good movie. So I guess now let's let's cycle back. Let's um let's drink the water, and let's cycle back in our mind. Uh, the very beginning of this movie starts off with a, a very serious monologue by Ward. I was actually I was pretty scared about this movie. Uh, with that beginning monologue, I was like, oh man, is this gonna be pretentious like, bullshit? Yeah, something like pretentious, <laughs> yeah. uh, self-serving. Uh, boring backwash cause like the the cover art uh, is really cool it's like Star Wars yeah I want I want I want that I want a poster of that that's a really good a good cover art I mean Nick Cage front and center purple everywhere really cool um but uh, first and foremost what I notice the most is the landscape uh, they're obviously in a place that is not America so it makes it kind of exotic and kind of for familiar. You do realize that not all of America looks like the South. Right? Oh, I'm quite aware of that, sir. But I also know the Pacific Northwest does not look like what they look. That's like Argentinian woods or something. What, what about Middle America? I still don't think it looks like that. It, you're you're in a place that looks familiar, but is also exotic, which sets you uneasy. I know what you're talking about. It, it just looks like the mountains. Really? I don't think you know what mountains look like in been, North America. I've been to Tennessee. I've been to Tennessee, too. I've been, been to Michigan. You cannot tell me that you have ever seen woods like that. 
Yeah. I don't know. Big, big fucking tall trees. I don't know where the fuck you've been. (laughs) Ancient woodland? No. Not even the redwoods in California look that alien. It's it's only in that one place. Well, yeah, because they're not purple. It's not purple in the beginning. Whatever. The point is, the setting is already setting you on uneasy footing because you see trees, but you're like, oh, those aren't normal... That's not my normal backyard. That's not South Carolina's backyard. That, you know where deer frolicking. There ain't no pine trees. There ain't no pine trees with them needles that we like to put in our flower beds. There's some cedar trees. Those, those are definitely, those are probably like cork trees. I don't know what a cork tree is made out <laughs> of, but I'm sure it's corks. Just a bunch of corks glued together. <laughs> um, well, like, a, like a wine bottle tree. Yeah, yeah you know, real cool. You see that shop in Savannah you went to. <laughs> they have cork trees there. So um, that's what I, I noticed first is with the pretentious bullshit monologue, which I liked. I liked that pretentiousness. It made me feel kind of uneasy while watching the movie. Then you go from there to a young teenage girl doing a Wiccan ceremony in the woods. Yeah, do the normal... 16-year-old looking things. Yeah, yeah, going... On this side, Gabrielle. On this side, Ezekiel. Take on this side, Urkiel. Take the cancer away from my mommy. Yeah, Urkiel. On this side, what the hell. And, um... <laughs> How long did it take you to think of that? I just thought about it right now. Oh, wow. okay. Urkiel. Did I do that? Color out of space. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, then we get we we introduce Lavinia and Ward and their flirtation, which I'm still finding very weird, because he is definitely out of college type of student, and she is very well, much not well, a college student. No, he could he could be in college. He's wearing a university shirt. Yeah, but how is he already a hydrologist? Do you get a certificate after he, a year? He might, or something? he might be an intern. Yeah. But he's like 22 at least. I mean, yeah, he's definitely like out of her age. I don't know how I don't know old she's out of age. If she, she's 18, <laughs> all bets are off. Well, do they ever actually say Lavinia's age? No. Because, uh, I mean, even in here, they, they say the teenage daughter, which Brent, or uh, fucking Benny, Benny is the oldest. Yeah. Uh, so, and he is definitely, I mean, he looked high school age. Benny definitely was high school age. So, Lavinia, I, I would say she is like 16 uh, at most. So, basically you're saying... And, and Ward is, is creeping on this, on this teenage girl, <laughs> looking at her legs. Looking at them legs, looking at them fishnets. And mom's just like, well, of course, look what you're wearing. Look what you're wearing. It's kind of like my ex-wife. You fucking um, slut. Skank. Kind of like my ex-wife. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> so, we introduce them and their kind of flirtation and then you go from there and she gets on her magic pony ride and goes up to the farmhouse where Nick Cage is sitting there with a uh, Back to the Future vest on drinking his coffee. 
and uh, being all dad like. Laverneo. Yeah, uh, tell me, what you think first take on this? This is yeah. It was like this. This sounded like it was his first. He's like, Laverneo, you don't want to worry your mother. You look at your mother. She's so worried. Meanwhile, the the mom is standing behind the window, just looking. At yeah, like. <laughs> You what you need to wear your helmet, Lavinia. Who wears a helmet on a horse if you're not doing like tricks? Which so I also this movie kept like setting up expectations in me Great that expectations. it didn't. Well, no, I meant like th- things that I thought it was going to be more about than it wasn't. You thought it was so, about horse riding safety. Well, I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Uh, ju- judging from the mom's like actions in the beginning of the movie, like I thought she's a super like conservative mom, controlling, you know, because she's like, like Lavinia, you you can't be going out all by yourself, and you can't be going out and spreading your veg all out there for all guys to see. And, and then just a little later in the movie. Uh, as soon as like she sees Lavinia with Ward, oh, yeah. uh, her first thought is, "Oh, you do you like him? You like him? I can tell by the way you're just throwing yourself at just him. Me, you might as well just go ahead, and pull your pants down, and say, take me.' But but this movie really tries to drive home a caring family with caring parents, and you know even though. They have their faults. They all love each other in some weird way. But I feel like a lot of the kids feel like they're trapped in this farm while their parents think as a way to escape. Well, I I think actually the opposite. Um, Well, not opposite. I I think you're missing something there. Okay. I think everyone feels trapped. Yeah, I can see that. I'm with you there. So the, the big thing that surrounds this family... Uh, that that I see as linking all these different character traits together is um, the mother's fuck what's it called uh, mastectomy yeah uh, which is where they they slice off your boob or your boobs uh, usually because of breast cancer yeah so everyone has their own way of like coping with this, uh, the mom, uh, because of all this, she missed a lot of work. Uh, she feels very, uh, pressured to get back in, on the field. Uh, she wants to make worth of herself. Uh, so that's what she does. The dad, um, we learned was a hippie before. Yeah, you know, man. He, he was like a, he was a tree, tree loving hippie, but he didn't care about his dad. Uh, so they lived in the city before, but now they're moved. They moved into his dad's old farmhouse, uh, living out the life that his dad wanted. Yeah, slowly turning into his dad, which is most sons' um, fear. But so uh, Nathan builds this whole persona of being the caretaker. Uh, coming Benny, up with great ideas like being an alpaca farmer. Yeah, yeah. I well, mean, I'm not quite understanding what it is to be an alpaca farmer. I mean, they're the animal of the future. The Mayans knew it. The Mayans knew it. And that's why they're still here. Right, Mayans? Oh, oh, they're gone. Sorry. 
but anyways, uh, Benny, uh, we see move to drugs and smoking that sweet weed. Drugs and nihilism is what I, what I say. I mean, we see him in like, space. He likes to look at space uh, stuff. Yeah, he's very well. He's very like done with this world, uh, almost. He, yeah. His interests lie elsewhere. Space cadet. And Lavinia um, clearly cares very much about her family, uh, but just wants things to get better quickly. So she goes to outside sources. She does these Wiccan rituals. She goes the, the satanic route. Yeah. And it's like... Satanic, heal. by the way, of good yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Satan, please heal my mom. Yeah. Satan, you're awesome. Love you. Love your music. Lo- love your work. Love your work. Uh, you got a sweet red bottom. Like, thank you for saving my mom's... And, and, and like, fixing her cancer in her tit situation. Yeah. Appreciate it. Say, bump it. <laughs> and so, but in, in this house, uh, everyone is unsatisfied with their their place in life. They're yes. all they're all forced in this place um, through circumstance and cope in their own ways. Yep. So uh, that breeds for drama. good character drama for your drama Lavinia drama Lavinia yeah it, it really does and you, you're invested in these people with very little to go by at the very beginning you know things are told to you and you kind of get the just of things and, and that's what I like about this because you get to see this family incomplete imperfect go through a supernatural and existential as well as like intergalactic struggle and um, you know we just get a front row seat to the destruction of basically our family this is everybody is not perfect and families are not perfect I mean we all have some of us come from split homes some of us have just a normal family, but everybody has work to do, and everybody can be unsatisfied with their surroundings, but they're all trying to make the best of it in the way they can, even if some of that's kind of weird and fucked up. We all do. Um, so, after that, we get to go through that nighttime, and I love the shot before the meteor hits of the house. Oh, the parents fucked it? Oh, and that too. Also, the their house, they have so many lights on this house. That's what I was about to say. It's like the house has its own character to it. And that's kind of what I liked about it. But there are like 4,000 lights up front. And then there's lights all over the property. And it really breeds this character of this land and this house. And um, so the night, that the, the night that it crashes, you have Lavinia sleeping. You have... Um, What's the boy's name? Benny. Benny, uh, staring off into computers. Um, little boy, Jack Jack, or whatever his name is, right? Jack? Well, just, just Jack. They call him Jack Jack sometimes. Okay, Jack Jack. just made me think of The Incredibles. Which, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that too. But what I like, uh, I thought that was kind of a cool shot of, he's got a, like a 
what's that called? Pterodactyl. 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 Whatever. Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl, and it kind of like starts shifting as the thing gets closer, and he knows something's wrong. And then you got the parents making trying to make sweet love in the room, and the meteor starts flying towards. The light gets brighter. Uh, the one thing I never quite got was why Benny just kept staring at the computer. Yeah, that that was actually something I was going to mention. Yeah. So, Benny uh, looks like like this meteor is fucking with him. In a way, uh, yeah. And so, well, then again, one of the ways that it seems to mess with him specifically it's, is is this time. And stuff. Space Cadet and him, you know, making him, just because he is a stoner. But I, I did think it was weird that, like, he gets kind of frozen in time and starts, like, drooling at his mouth. Uh, whereas the parents, they just, I mean, they just continue going. They keep going in it. Yeah. But um, Jack Jack gets out of the bed. He's trying to find his mom. And that's when it hits. And the color, like, radiates through Jack. Because Jack's the first one to truly get affected by it. Yeah. He's, like, immediately affected by it. Um, after noticing that all of a sudden a meteorite fell, fell from the sky... They go to inspect it. The dog looks at it. But you see that it starts affecting each character in a different way. Like, Nathan can only smell it. That's, like, his main gripe. Um, Jack loses his mind. He can't... He's just not there anymore. He's, like, stuck. Um, while well, he is the only one to actually look at the light yeah. as it's coming down. Whereas everybody else is all doing their own thing. Now... They look at the meteorite after it hits the ground, but you know, Jack well, actually... Jack does, but Jack also closes his eyes and then the, the light shines through him. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think anybody truly saw it, saw it, besides just the aftermath. Um, but you really start to understand... The dog. The dog definitely saw it. The dog went... And the teeth bare... But you really start to understand kind of how these people are going to deal with this, how it affects them... You know, immediately Nick Cage turns to drinking. You know, that's just what he does. And that's going to be part of his downfall, too. He's just like, well, that was I should have played the barley. Yeah. Should have. What, what else am I going to do? I'm Nick Cage. Um, but it, this is the start of the downfall of the family. And it really is done in very good pacing. Uh, even when I watched it, because we watched it twice for this podcast. Yeah. Um, even when I watched it the second time, I didn't find myself bored. Oh, which, no. Which no, I, no. Yeah, which I, I do have a lot of it complaints. Was, it is a kind of slow burn uh, in a way where it, it does pace itself. Um, now, it's an explosive ending. It's just yeah. balls to the wall. Bananas. So much color, so much... Uh, like you're thrown all over the place um, and there were multiple times in the ending that I thought like okay that was the big ending part and they kept going they kept going and just yeah. got more explosive and it just got it, it was anyway we are at 43 minutes in this podcast and we are literally talking about the first 30 minutes of this movie maybe even 20 minutes so let's let's do it this way okay um, we're gonna speed through it 
shit. It's just so much. This movie is is very deep for such a bottled movie. But you get to see little things like the mayor wanted to buy the land because they're trying to get this dam built. The hydrologist is only there because they're trying to get this dam built. Well, so that's actually that's another thing. Well, the hydrologist was basically sent by the the dam's company. Yeah. To, to but um, that's another thing. Remember how I said I thought this was going to have like an environmental message, which it, I, it could. It kind of does. Just, I mean, it, maybe I'm just uh, dummy dumb again. But as far as like. You know, corporation coming in with a dam. Uh, it's all kind of like they even the TV was playing stuff like, "Is global warming real? Huh? Is global heating a real thing?" Um, Get your sunglasses out. And then just how like the family was so uh, caught on like self-preservation you know with their farm and their well water and all it's just like they they've got their own stuff away from everybody life in the sticks yeah just like with Ezra and, and his kind of their their squatter he lives on his own off the grid no power solar power drinking yeah. uh, gross looking coffee um, that that's I don't think this has a deeper message other than if a meteorite falls from space and there's a color, you're probably gonna get fucked as a family or anybody. But um, the the color starts changing the world around them. Um, they're losing track of time. The mother cuts her fingers off absentmindedly, trying to cut carrots. Um, the foliage is changing. Fruits growing bigger. Uh, insects are popping. But it up. also tastes like shit. It also tastes like shit because. Uh, like another thing I liked was when she cracked the egg and it was bloody. Oh, I thought that was well, like another. That was like the sign that shit is wrong, and and then as that happens, like the fruit's bad, even though it looks great. Everything looks great, but underneath it all is something very dangerous and scary. It's very like unstable. Un- which- unstable, and that's the that's the, what you feel during the movie. You feel so unstable watching it. And, like, you know, I always feel like we, our podcasts are better when the movie's shittier because it's funny to make fun of it. But when you see a movie that actually takes time and care into creating characters, giving them an arc, or in this this case, reverting their character, um, it's harder to talk about. Like, we could talk probably for two and a half, three hours about it. But we only got an hour and some change. So we're going to try to get... (laughs) We're going to try to talk about this in, in a way that's going to, you know, bring to light some of the cool parts of the movie. So, like, what's your favorite part of the movie? I mean, other than uh, the many Nick Cage quotes that I've been saying uh, for the past week and a half <laughs> after watching this movie, um, my, my favorite part is definitely when the mom and Jack fuse together and just that that design they have for it is so sickening and yeah gray and the the fact that like the son is still like on her back like crying uh, but it's 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 like that kind of crying against the pillow yeah. like it's not like loud it's just 
It's just there. The, you can tell that they're in pain. Yeah. And you can tell that, like, this is hurting them. But, like, when it finally morphs into its final creature, like, the, it looks like a spider roach with two heads. And, like, the mom's face has, like, kind of jokered out a little bit, too. Um, it's very unsettling. And the shot from above, when you don't know they turned into that really like hit you hard oh yeah yeah i mean uh, it was so much more effective having that shot from above uh you really made it like your description of it being like some almost like a cockroach yeah uh is very apt in that shot because it looks like a bug crawling on a wall yeah and and to to like also bring home another point this this color is almost like radiation from a nuclear bomb. And so it's like forming, it's melding things together and forming this like goopy, gross, six-headed alpaca mess. But in the end, it's trying to change it into something that it knows. You know, it's trying to change it into a form that can get up and move to think about like, what would that have been if that would have been fully fleshed out until... Uh, Nathan euthanized it with a shotgun. Yeah. Um, but, the, yeah, the the best parts of this movie for me are just Nick Cage. Uh, I really, as, a, as I've grown older, I've kind of developed a love for Nick Cage and his choice of acting styles. Uh, I think there's a movie that he was in called The Vampire's Kiss where he's trying to play like a New York yuppie and he almost has that same voice when he does his dad's voice through the whole movie. And oh, wow. and it really is like funny to watch him because he's not necessarily known for his range as for his just over the top mania. It's kind of like honestly it's very similar to like Adam Sandler. In a way. Where yeah. Adam Sandler is very known for Yeah, his... being like I'm sorry, Veronica, but I'm ready nobody yesterday! <laughs> he, he, like that. Yeah, his explosion yeah, kind of, like that. Uh, of anger and rage. and But the... Uh, but he also does have... I mean, Adam Sandler is a good actor. Yeah, Spanglish is a great movie. Which when I'm directed uh, competently... And not wearing sweatpants. He's a good actor. Yeah. But Spanglish, if you've never seen Spanglish for a drama, a family drama, is very, very good. And I feel like Nick Cage, honestly, is similar. Um, I really think he should do more. I don't know how much voice acting he has done. I know he do, he's done some. The Cruise, but his voice... Great in the Cruise. His voice works very well for uh, animation. Very distinct. Spider-Noir he played in, in uh, Spider-Verse movies. And then he did... The two crudes and and his character of Ugg is probably my favorite part of the entire movie. And you've got voices of Emma Stone and Ryan Reynolds in that, and Peter Dinklage in the second one. And the fact that he's like over them is pretty amazing. Um, but but like just watching Nick Cage do his thing from going from normal to crazy to normal to crazy to normal to crazy to what? Um, that's probably the best part. Now I also like the cinematography. I like the score. This is a, this is a beautiful yeah. film. I love the score. 
The music is very otherworldly, although I think it comes in a little too early with the otherworldly, before the otherworldly happens. Um, I love Tommy Chong in this. I think his character, even though he's just Tommy Chong, they did a good, they did a great thing whenever they finally go to rescue him, whenever the, the height of the color is around. When they sped up and slowed up his voice and like melded it together and added it together with his own voice, uh, maybe the scariest VO I've heard this year or maybe my entire life. I just, it really, if they would have started out with that as the voiceover instead, I would have probably been horrified immediately. Um, but it's... I feel like if they played it at the beginning, it honestly right. would have sounded yeah. like it was like a Sam Elliott yeah. opening. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's just Bane's voice. Because I was Bane's voice would be like, Hello there, the color out of space. We are your liberators. I was born in the future. <laughs> I was born in this color. Uh, anyway. It, so what? It, go ahead. Well, no, no. Go ahead. with. I, 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 I'm finished. I mean, I'm basically saying I love this movie. I really, like, I totally recommend it to anybody that likes sci-fi and horror as well as family drama. Um, I think Richard Stanley did a very good job of directing... This movie compared to the last movie I saw on direct Island of Dr. Moreau, which is terrible, and I'm saying dog shit, but to go from that to this is, is a leap and bound. It, it, it's one of the reasons that I even wanted to get Shudder or watch Shudder is because of this movie. I always heard good things, and uh, I was not let down or disappointed. I feel like uh, when you talk about... Richard Stanley, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, what people say about Zack Snyder with the the Justice League. Oh, shit. Are you really going there? I mean, from what, I still have not watched, I either, watched either. either versions, but I do know, and I, I've watched video, I've watched more videos on it than I have watched any DC stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but I know that, so I can tell that the Zack Snyder cut is leaps and bounds better than the original both in its uh, editing and its narrative choices and so seeing that that was more what Zack Snyder intended to be without as much studio interference that that sounds like what Richard Stanley was probably like. and you're probably right I mean and, and when you have a single person's vision with the right people in place and the right the right, you know, producers as well as the right studio. Somebody backed it. You can see what a single vision can do. And this is what Richard Stanley has done better than anybody else has done, is take an author who notoriously is so descriptive that you cannot film it and actually make an, a... So, a, he's so descriptive that you can't describe it. You can't describe it. You cannot adapt his works to film. Has finally figured out a way to adapt his works to film using unknown actors and actresses and Nick Cage. And then garner enough attention and critical response to get a second part of this going to be trilogy. 
So I really, I, my hats off to, to Richard Stanley. I think you finally, like, you got to do your movie. I will say I don't. There are parts of this movie where that more Lovecraftian uh, description and like that, like descriptive horror. Uh, that is kind of that that works in literature. Uh, you can see it put it to this, and I feel like it doesn't work as well. Um, so there are parts where it doesn't work as well, such as with Benny. Yeah. That he and Lavinia are talking, and we've seen all this kind of crazy stuff happen, and he's just like, "And time, it's messing with time," and then talks about how he got lost and all this, but it's like. We didn't really see it. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, I take that back. I don't think so. Because you remember when she's standing there trying to wash the blood off of the the kitchen counter with the sink. She just stops. And then when she comes to the waters on the floor, I think you see that a little bit. It represents it a little bit. Well, I thought it was actually more of a... That part was more of a... Mental thing, like a mental like a, thing, because of the fact that the blood was a lot of blood. It was like so. that was a lot of blood. Yeah, but I mean, she did cut her fingers off. Have you ever cut your fingers off? Well, yeah, but she was just cleaning the knife. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There was a lot of blood, and maybe that, but that could have been part of the color too. You know, being in the water as well. But I, I don't know. I feel like there are some things that you can't translate from his works. Now, I am also not a reader, a scholar. I have never read a single piece of his stuff. I've never read any literature in my life. Yeah, I haven't. I've, I read Phantoms by Dean Koontz for fun. That was the only book I've ever read for fun. <laughs> and it was a horrible book. But I love the movie, which we should do one day. Um, but there, there's another part, too, with uh, Nick Cage. And I actually I like this part, but not... I like it ironically. It's when... Nick Cage is describing the smell. He's like, it, it smells like my dad's cancer ward. The, the cancer smell, you know it. You, you, you know, know it, Teresa. You know it better than anybody. <laughs> it's so fucked up. And, uh, but that's him turning into his dad. And the but, shower scene where he picks up the jelly and he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it, and he, It's such a nice sound when he's like, ah, ah. And when he loses it on the, um, you cocksucker, you cocksucker, bam, bam, bam. you fucking cocksucker, you cocksucker. <laughs> and the whole place is pink. It's like, he's just cocksucker. Oh, the battery. Ah, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. Ah. The battery's died. Um, the car is not happening. It's like, what do you mean not happening? I mean, you could, it's just, Nick Cage, you could just quote for... Now, now, okay, so I told you about the other Nick Cage movie I saw this year, too. Brand new one, right? It was during Corona, and everybody couldn't go to movie theaters. But it was called Mr. Willie's Funhouse. Yes. Okay? This is quite the opposite of what we saw in Color Out of Space. Instead of having Nick Cage as a very vocal, crazy person, he didn't say a word the whole time. Yet still effective. I think he is... Like, in his generation, I, I do think that he has continued to thrive even out of his action hero 
youth or leading man youth. And um, this showcases talent better than it. This Mandy, that, I mean, there's just a lot of really good Nick Cage stuff out there. I say, this film shows how Nick Cage's style of acting, or at least how people use his acting, can be effective if used in the right place. Yes, it can. He's definitely maintained his cultural relevancy through, like, what are probably bad acting uh, choices, things that don't work for the movies that he's in. But in this movie, it works. Yes. And it's super funny, but also doesn't take away the fact that Nick Cage probably could have shot any of his family members at any moment. Yeah, you just never knew. There there is still tension and horror to be found. And and the fact that he's still, even though he's being horrible, you still love him for it. Just because that's just the way his character is built and him as an actor is built. But, um, you know, Color Out of Space. Uh, I, I recommended it to Michael when we were doing the last Underwater podcast because of the Cthulhu references. And um, I'm glad that we had a chance to check it out. Uh, I wish we had six more hours to talk about it. But unfortunately, we're trying to squeeze this all in in an hour-ish. Um, but any final thoughts on Color Out of Space? Uh, would you recommend it to most horror fans? I definitely would. I would. It, it's, it's a very different kind of horror. I actually was talking with my brother recently um, because he doesn't watch hardly any horror movies he thinks they're he knows a Hollywood blockbuster horror he thinks they're all horror is the same which even in that case it's not no but I see where he's coming from Uh, you know he's seen your your Conjuring movies your James Wan movies yeah which are very Uh, formulaic yes yes and uh, he's seen some pretty bad horror movies and so he just Chalked it all up to he doesn't like. Now, I suggested stuff like Hereditary to him. Horror movies that are so different yes. than your normal horror movies. Like, that that movie is terrifying in its own, its own way. It gets in your head. And this movie, I would suggest in the same way. It's very different from any other kind of horror movie that you would normally see. Um, and, I mean, I, I don't know how well this film really did in any well kind of, any kind of box office I don't uh, think it did too I mean it made a million oh man this thing was a bomb well no I think you're trying to put it in this this I think it came out right at the very tail end of the year when did it release uh, September well well that that was in the uh, Toronto Film yeah. Festival. Okay, yeah. so but, so it released right at the beginning of twenty twenty, which could be considered COVID time. I think you. I don't. I don't think that counts. Though. I think it kind of counts as in like it was already a slow box office year, but when you're when you're not when you're not let loose wide, and you're only on a limited amount of screens, because I think that like I, on a similar podcast. They mentioned that there's only two theaters that this place would even play out. Michael and I are talking about another movie coming out this year called Censor, but it's an oh, independent yeah. film, and it's going to be it's going to be released limit, limited. That means you have to find those independent film 
uh, cinemas that are willing to play these movies knowing that it's people like me and him that would go see it. So I think that, yes, based on budget, but how many Shutter accounts were open because that's exclusively through Shutter? Well, you know? I, I'm actually wondering if this may have the information wrong because it has as the budget as six to twelve million. Like it has a six million dollar difference. Well, I mean, I would here. It's like, I would think that the movie looks like it's about ten million dollars. Like I feel like based on the the special effects. And you know Nick Cage probably was a pretty good little chunk too. But I think based on the special effects, the cinematography, and how well it's shot, I think that it probably was around the 8 to $10 million range. Well, I hope that this film gets the the cult following it deserves. I think it already does have I think it does a, too. But I, I hope you know it finds its success in its afterlife. Um and I'm really excited for its sequel. Yeah, and I think you also have to, as film fans, if you love film, period, you need to support these movies more than you need to support Marvel, Disney, any other big studio, Warner Brothers. Now, I will watch those movies because now I'm invested because Disney figured out a way to make serial movies like like I'm watching TV shows. Like I, I have to see the next Breaking Bad. I gotta see the next Marvel movie. But um, and it's like I, I love, and I I kind of fall for this too. Where there are only some films where I'm like I need to see this in theaters. Like it's it's popcorn movie. It's you have it's to a see cinematic it. experience. Of course, I was gonna watch Endgame in theaters. I, yeah, I watched the other Marvel theaters. movies. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. But I mean, they're well made for a popcorn flick. If if anything, they are the best well made summer blockbusters. Like I'm never in the history of my life. I saw Jurassic Park open. I've seen Armageddon. I've seen. But I've seen Independence Day all on opening day, all opening weekends. But to me, the Marvel movies are the best at exceeding expectations. But these movies that we watch, and, and that's why horror films are so profitable, is because they take less money and they generally bring in wide audiences because people like to get scared. But we need to see more of these singular visions. You need to go make sure you see more of these singular visions because you will get a more rewarding experience out of it. And that's the moral of today's story on Color Out of Space. You support these guys who will stick their neck out and put their views, their vision, out there on screen. And we need to go more and in droves to these movies but we are not the necessary public that sees just an everyday movie. Yeah. So well, um, that's why I'm glad we have producers like Elijah Wood, who is a he's very prominent horror figure. Uh, you know, every, every the normal people probably know him for Lord of the Rings, but like, he, he has his place in. Horror cinema. He is a very prominent producer uh, for many horror films. Has he ever starred in a horror film? I wonder. Yes. In fact, what? we will be watching it for next week's podcast. <gasps> we are? 2013? Yeah. I think it's 2013's uh, Maniac. Maniac. That's a remake of an old 80s or 70s 
slasher. Right? Yeah, some some old slasher. I've never seen the original. It's on Shutter, and I'm thinking about watching it for the podcast too. But I don't know. But I I saw the uh, the Elijah Wood remake. I, I guess it was pretty much when it came out. It was a very early uh, film for me and Shauna's relationship. Never uh, seen it. The parents basically said, hey, go to Redbox and get a movie. Uh, I decided to get a horror movie. They said, never pick a movie again. <laughs> <laughs> because it was so... Th- this is a first person through the eyes of the killer horror movie. I'm very excited about it. I've never seen it. I've only read a little bit about it. I don't think I've even got spoiled now. The other day I was looking at Wikipedia and Michael's like, don't read it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he was reading the plot summary. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I also, I listened to a podcast called Now Playing. I'm just giving you props. They're very knowledgeable people and they do have... 2013's Maniac on there, but I have not listened to it. I, I refuse to listen to it until after we get done. Um, but I am excited to see Elijah Wood in this movie because he is so innocent and childlike. It's almost crazy to think of him as a maniac. Although, I've seen him act like a maniac in Lord of the Rings and a couple other TV shows. And Lars and The Real Boy. and There's some weird, there's some weird stuff he's been in. Um, but... Once again, Color Out of Space, great movie. Couple of little issues. Other than that, I, I highly enjoyed it, and I would watch it again. Yep. So, for the Cat Scare Podcast, I'm Campbell. I'm Michael. And good night and good luck.